Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I'm raw dogging this morning with no coffee, so prepare for all the enthusiasm. <laughs> Try really hard, but I have a feeling this is the last week of Wicked Mock Madness, right? Yes, it is. Ooh. Did you save the best for last? Kinda. Maybe. I don't know. You, you be the judge. You should just say yes. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> you be the judge. Awesome. I think so. I'm ready. Before we start, I just kind of wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. So, moving forward... You may notice that you will not be hearing the Oracle Network jingle at the start of our episodes, and that is because as of April 1st, they will no longer be operating as a network. We are still part of the Cultivate Network. Mm -hmm. It was a decision where the people who run the Oracle Network, they've got a lot of personal stuff going on. I'm sure there's some other stuff that I'm unaware of that is going on as well, so they're just going to be disbanding which is totally fine and understandable i mean Absolutely. i imagine running a network is a lot of work especially if it's an independent network yeah mm -hmm. so we wish all of our friends in the oracle network the best of luck i know a lot of them are part of other networks so i'm sure they'll all do wonderful things and mm -hmm. we will continue to support all our friends who are part of the oracle network or who were part of Absolutely. the Oracle Network. So just wanted to give a heads up about that, because if you don't follow us on social media, you wouldn't know that. Yeah. With that out of the way, as Maddie mentioned, it is the last week of Wicked Mock Madness, which means this will be our last witchy episode for a little while. We'll have more this year, but like, yeah, we're going to take a little break. Sounds Back into good. more murdery things. <laughs> This week we will be discussing, discussing, discussing the last witch trial in Ireland. Oh, and so instead of the first one, we're discussing the last. The very last one. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2022 Shape by Sea and Stone article. 2021 Belfast Entries article. 2020 Irish Central article. 2019 Social History Society article by Dr. Andrew Sneddon, 
2015 BBC News Northern Ireland article by Jane McCormick, 2012 Irish Economic and Social History article by Dr. Andrew Sneddon, 2011 Independent article by Declan Cashin, 1999 Irish Times article, 1833 Dublin Penny Journal article, and Alice Obscura. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. I don't speak Irish, so I'm going to do my best with the pronunciation of some of these places, and I apologize in advance. I don't speak Irish. Is there a lot of, are there a lot of, like, Gaelic? Well, I mean, some of, like, the places Mm -hmm. have Irish names, so I did translate a couple of them. I didn't translate all of them because I kind of forgot. (laughs) Oh, no. So I'll do my best. And the hard thing about Irish is not a lot of places translate Irish, which is weird. Yeah, it's almost like they're they're like, no, it's English. Calm down. Yeah. Or like (laughs) offer the proper Irish, Irish, Irish pronunciation. So and I can't trust Google Translate on this because they're just like, murmur, murmur. Like they just say like the English version. It's like, "Mm, is that right? Anyway. Into the episode. Carrick Fergus in County Antrim became the setting for the last recorded witch trial in all of Ireland. The tale itself starts with Island McGee, which is an eight mile long peninsula on the eastern coast of Antrim in Northern Ireland. Sounds pretty. Mm-hmm. On March 31st, 1711, eight women were put on trial in Carrick Fergus at the Spring Assizes in the old courthouse after being accused of the demonic possession of a teenage girl. Ooh, okay. Eight women? Eight women for one teenage girl? Yep. Gross. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Unlike other countries in the UK and Europe, Ireland didn't have many witch trials throughout its history. In fact, Dr. Andrew Sneddon, who teaches international history at the University of Ulster, could only find evidence of three trials and 11 people being put on trial for witchcraft. Nice. So that is significantly less than any that we have covered up till this point. Right. It's almost like, you know, they didn't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're like, nah, they're just trying to help me, man. Yeah. Give me a salve. Thanks. They're healers. Mm -hmm. So what made this trial so different? Why, after hundreds of years, was this trial gaining so much attention? Dr. Sneddon believes it had something to do with the beliefs that the Scottish settlers brought to the area. Of the 300 residents who lived on the peninsula, almost all of them had Scots Presbyterian heritage, meaning they were both Scottish and diehard Presbyterians. Pretty self-explanatory, but Yeah. yeah. It might surprise you to learn that of all of the countries in Europe, Scotland was by far the worst when it came to witch hunting and witch trials. Interesting. Yeah. You would think it would be England. Yeah, just because England loves to fight. Yeah. (laughs) They just like to fight. We're going to conquer this. Why? Because we feel like it. (laughs) Well, and if you think about the reign of, like, Queen Mary I... She loved hanging and burning people. That was kind of like her jam. Yeah. That was her show. Yeah. She was like, I love this so much. (laughs) 
Season three, season three. (laughs) (laughs) Around 3,800 people were accused and prosecuted for participating in witchcraft in Scotland. And of those, three quarters of them were put to death via strangulation and burning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Saving firewood. Yep. Well, you got to kill them twice, remember? Mm-hmm. It was Scottish settlers that introduced the idea of quote-unquote dangerous witches to the Irish people, who up until that point only had one type of witch in their Gaelic Irish culture, and that was the butter witch. I love this so A much. A butter witch? Yeah. Oh my god, does she bring snacks? <laughs> no, I wish. She brings bread and she's like, let's share this. <laughs> the butter witch stole milk's ability to churn into butter and they would turn themselves into hares and steal the milk and or the butter that had been churned. So they just snatch your butter? Or your milk, yeah. Okay, butter witch, that's kind of a... Or they would prevent your milk from churning into butter. What a dick move. They're just like milk and butter tricksters. Yeah. I suppose a lot of like Irish folklore is filled with lots of little tricksters to help like lose your things and mm-hmm. me- move things around in the middle of the night yeah kind of harmless but frustrating creatures. like pranks yeah so yeah. i just thought and the butter w- butter which sucks <laughs> you just want bread and butter in the morning it turns into like a giant rabbit and i'm just like i love that it's adorable it's a rabbit that eats way too much butter <laughs> It's cholesterol. It's through the roof. It's a rabbit with, with a permanent, like, butter stain on its mouth. And it's constantly just going, blah, blah, blah. I'm the butter witch. Blah, blah, blah. It's got a constant milk mustache. Add more salt to your butter next time. Blah, 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 blah. Just going to throw this out. When it comes to the case in question, the origins date back to 1710, when Mary Dunbar arrived in Island McGee, from Castle Rhea in Belfast. The 18-year-old had moved to the home of her cousin, Jane Haltridge, following the death of her mother-in-law, Anne. The cause of death? Okay. Witchcraft. Ah. So we see the beginning of the avalanche. Yes, this is the very beginning. Mm-hmm. This is a bizarre story, so, like, buckle up. <laughs> the house, known as Nohead House was also suspected of being haunted. However... By a bunch of no-heads? Just a bunch of no-heads and a giant rabbit eating butter. (laughs) Perfect. Before we dive into the story of Mary, we need to travel back a little further. So I'm going to tell you a little bit more of the history of the house and of Anne, who was the mother-in-law that passed away. Okay. In the fall of 1710, Anne Haltridge was being tormented by something she couldn't see. This unseen entity would throw rocks and turf at her bed, and the curtains in her bedroom would flap on their own as if in a terrible storm, though no wind could be found. So some ghost was like, you're in a big bed storm, (laughs) throwing grass and rocks and dirt at her. Yep. Oh, that's mean. Yeah. While sleeping, her sheets and pillows would be torn from her. Unfortunately for Anne, this was just the start of the strange activity. That winter, on December 11th, 1710, a small boy appeared quite suddenly by the fire after just walking right into the house. 
What? <laughs> Anne described him as about 11, with dark hair, a vest, cap, and he had a dirty blanket around his shoulders and head that obscured part of his face. Uh-oh. Concerned, she offered him some food and drink, and instead of answering, he ran and danced through the house, across the courtyard, and into the barn. Anne had the servants go after him, and as the servants searched for him outside, he suddenly reappeared by the kitchen hearth. No. This strange boy danced about the house until Anne's son James returned home, at which point he seemed to just disappear. It's creepy. The strange child wasn't seen again for several months until February 12, 1711, when James left for a business trip to Dublin. The boy was found digging a hole in the yard, a grave. Hate that. Mm-hmm. When asked what he was doing, he said it was for someone in the house. When asked what his name was and where he lived, the boy stated that he had been sent by Satan. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. He continued to cause trouble by throwing stones, tearing books from the shelves, and smashing windows. <sighs> okay. Wow. The family and servants were so frightened that they locked themselves inside the house. The local clergy were sent for and asked if they could pray over the house. Reverend Robert Sinclair and church elders John Maine and Reynold Leafs came to the house and decided to spend the night in prayer. That night, February 21st, Anne went to bed and later awoke with stabbing pains in her back. This excruciating pain, which she described as being stabbed, refused to subside, and she died the following day. Wow. Yeah. Okay, this entire time I was assuming it was going to be her son mm-hmm. that died. He was he was making the grave for her. It wasn't her son. It was this strange boy that No, but like when he he appears whenever her son goes off on business. Yep. So I was assuming he was telling her that like he's going to come home dead. Yeah. Cuz he's traveling. Well, that took a turn. I was I was expecting the son to die. Well, and you got to remember that Mary came to live with her cousin Jane after Anne passed away. Yeah, so she could have kept the curse. Mm-hmm. So now we'll get back to Mary. Not long after her arrival, less than a week after Anne's death, when Mary went to bed... She was alarmed to find that her trunk had been opened and her clothes had been scattered around the house. Great. That's Mm kind of rude. Yeah. A few days after this, Jane and her cousin Mary returned to their sewing after lunch, only to find the clothes and materials all over the room and even outside in the garden. That would be really frustrating. Could you imagine if, like, all your needles and stuff were just strewn about? Yeah, and, like... (sighs) If you had really nice material, like say you're making clothes for somebody, and now all of a sudden it's just like covered in dirt and stuff from being and outside. All your thread is muddy, and yeah. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. How do you wash thread? I don't know. You probably have to just throw it away. Uh, that's so awful. 
A little while later, a servant girl named Jeannie brought an apron that had been tied into a number of knots to Jane after she discovered it on the parlor floor. How many knots? Mary set about untying all five knots and was surprised to discover one of the, of Anne's flannel caps hidden in the apron. That's terrifying. Yeah. And it's a cap that had been missing since her death. Great. But it came from hell. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. The following day, Mary collapsed after experiencing a pain in her thigh. When she was put to bed, she began to suffer from fits and convulsions, during which she was heard talking to and begging someone to leave her alone. A few days later, she exhibited signs of demonic possession. Swearing, shouting, threatening people, blaspheming, going into a fit any time a clergyman came near her, throwing Bibles, and even vomiting up items such as pins, buttons, nails, glass, and wool. And she didn't, oh, and she wasn't dead. <laughs> Throw yeah. up glass, and you're still just, like, hanging out, cursing yep. the world. Great. And nails. Cool. Yeah, and the pins. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. just makes me sick thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. So painful. Oh, okay. Neighbors, learning of what was afflicting Mary, volunteered to stay in the house to aid the family. At this time, like I mentioned before, the population of Island McGee was around 300 people. Okay. So it's, you know, it's a fairly small community, but obviously people kind of knew each other and they were willing mm -hmm. to help. Like a demonic possession happens. <laughs> They're like, we'll help. <sighs> the butter witch didn't come to my house. Here. Records from the trial describe some of the bizarre activities witnessed at the home as follows. Quote, it was also deposed that strange noises as of whistling and scratching were heard in the house and that a sulfurous smell was observed in the rooms. Nope. That stones, turf, and the like were thrown about the house and the coverlets frequently taken off the beds and made up in the shape of a corpse. Absolutely not. Question. Yeah? With the turf and dirt and rocks thrown about in the house... Do you know at, if this time, if it was very common to have like wood floors or did they have dirt floors in their house? They would have had wood floors. Okay. So this is just, they're just like appearing into the house then at that point. Yep. Okay. Got it. And that a bolster, which is a tube like body pillow, once walked out of a room into the kitchen with a nightgown on it. <laughs> Quick, somebody call me beautiful. <laughs> Nobody's going to comment on my nightgown. It's very nice. Yes. The devil made it himself. <laughs> it's so lovely. It's made of itchy flannel. The Butter Witch calls it a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. It likewise appeared in evidence that in some of her fits, three strong men were scarcely able to hold her in the bed, that at times she vomited feathers, cotton yarn, pins, and buttons and that on one occasion she slid off the bed and was laid on the floor as if supported and drawn by an invisible power, end quote. Yeah. It seems like whatever's possessing her is really keeping to the sewing theme. Mm-hmm. 
really mocking her work, especially if they just put her her nightgown on a pillow. Yeah. Well, I'm sure those were some of like the easiest things on hand, you to know. Manipulate. After being examined by local doctors, they concluded that her condition was not physical, but supernatural. So on March 13th, 1711, Mary was moved to the home of Mr. Stannis in Laird to see if a location change would rid her of whatever was tormenting her. Pretty sound logic. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the change in residence did nothing to lessen the symptoms. No. So whatever it was, it was attached to Mary. And how, like, roughly how long has she been tormented by now? A few weeks. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <sighs> That'd be devastating. Prior to the trial, Mary stated that eight women appeared to her in spectral form. And even though the act of using spectral evidence in witch trials was falling out of favor in England... It was one of the main arguments and proof of witchcraft in the 1711 trial. The following is a section of transcript regarding the specters. Okay. Quote, The afflicted person being in the month of February 1711 in the house of James Haltridge Island McGee found an apron on the parlor floor that had been missing some time, tied with five strange knots which she loosened. On the following day, she was suddenly seized with the violent pain in her thigh and afterwards fell into fits and ravings, and on recovering, said she was tormented by several women whose dress and personal appearance she minutely described. Shortly after, she was again seized with the like fits, and on recovering, she accused five other women of tormenting her, describing them also. The accused persons being brought from different parts of the country, she appeared to suffer extreme fear and additional torture as they approached the house, end quote. Oof. We need to remember that the only person who saw this quote-unquote spectral possession was Mary herself. Yeah. And seeing as she was new to the area and would have never had a chance to meet these women before, the claim of spectral evidence was permitted. Yeah, I can see that. I can see how it would be, like, shocking enough mm -hmm. for her being totally new and being like, how do you know this person? How How is it that you've seen these people before? Well, and not only that, but some of the people she accused didn't even live on the island. Oh, wow. They were from the mainland. That's crazy. The authorities, perhaps learning from the mistakes of other cases in the past conducted a test for Mary to see if she would truly be able to detect the women she accused. She was blindfolded, after which a parade of women came in to touch her, since it was believed that those possessed by a demon would go into fits when touched by a witch. Surprisingly, Mary picked out each of the eight women she claimed had bewitched and attacked her, convulsing when they would be brought close to her. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's not great news for those eight women. <laughs> yeah. According to a report written by Samuel McSkimmon, who is a historian of Carrick Fergus, the eight accused women were Janet Mean of Braid Island, Janet Latimer from the Irish Quarter of Carrick Fergus, Janet Miller from the Scottish Quarter of Carrick Fergus, Margaret Mitchell of Kilroot, Catherine McCalmond, 
Janet Seller Nee Liston, Elizabeth Seller, and Janet Carson. The last four women were all from Island McGee. Okay. Would you be shocked if I told you that each of the women were poor and marginalized? What? Never. There is a reason that the stereotype of a witch being an old woman has persisted for as long as it has. Most of the women were elderly and had previously made claims that they had some form of power. Got it. So I don't know if that meant medicinal power, like they were healers. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Three of the accused were known to imbibe alcohol, which in the 1700s wasn't considered ladylike behavior. Ooh, okay. As well as swear and smoke tobacco. How dare. Additionally, several of them fell short of the traditional standards at the time of beauty, and a good number of them were also disabled, such as Elizabeth Seller, who was lame. Heaven forbid. If you compare these women to Mary, a young, intelligent, beautiful woman, it's easy to see how people could have been swayed to believe in her claims. Yeah, especially if there's already a, a pre-established prejudice against all of those women in some way. Mm-hmm. And she's new. She's new to the town. Yep. Mm-hmm. In the book, The Witches of Island McGee, Charles McConnell states, quote, the eight poor wretches who stood in line at the bar were bedraggled and showed signs of their incarceration. They possessed such a strange variety of ill looks, and from their diabolical appearance, anyone could have assumed this alone would give grounds for suspecting them of witchcraft. They stood with their heads bowed as their names were read out, then ordered to sit on the bench, end quote. During the trial, the defense argued that the women were, quote, mostly sober, industrious people who attended public worship, could repeat the Lord's Prayer, and had been known to pray both in public and in private, and that some of them had lately received communion, end quote. Okay. So, so it's very atypical of somebody who would be worshiping the devil. Exactly. Interesting. Really compelling evidence for both sides right now. Yeah. Reverend Dr. William Tisdall, vicar of Belfast, came to watch the trial and took meticulous notes. It wasn't just Mary's testimony that was brought forth against the eight accused. Other witnesses included Reverend William Ogilvy, William Fenton, John Blair, and Reverend P. Adair. I'm sure some of, like, the clergy were, were the ones that had been present during the... Mm-hmm during some of the possessions. There were also statements from her family and members of the household staff, including items that Mary was said to have vomited during some of her fits. Okay. Mary herself never gave evidence or spoke during the trial. It was noted, quote, the afflicted person was unable to give any evidence on the trial, being during that time dumb, but had no violent fit during its continuance, end quote. She later stated that during one of her fits on the way to the courthouse, a man and two women appeared to her, stating that she would be unable to utter a word of testimony. And after that, she just couldn't speak. Stop talking. Yeah. Yeah. 
As I mentioned, the eight women were accused of, quote, harming by magical means, end quote, Mary Dunbar, at the house of James Haltridge on Island McGee, as well as a list of other places, such as the home that she was taken to. Mm-hmm. Judge Anthony Upton took what he knew of the women into consideration when addressing the jury. Given their regular attendance to church, he thought it improbable that actual witches would be able to practice any sort of worship of God, privately or publicly. Judge Upton is quoted as saying, quote, that the jury could not bring them in guilty upon the sole testimony of the afflicted person's visionary images, end quote. Nice. Meanwhile, High Court Judge James McCartney stated the exact opposite when he was quoted as saying, quote, the jury might, from the evidence, bring them in guilty, end quote. The trial itself lasted from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., and although the judge hoped for leniency given their standings in the local Presbyterian church, the all-male jury found the women guilty. Great. They were then sentenced to be imprisoned for 12 months and stand four times in the pillory in Carrickfergus on market day. That's so harsh for those older women. Mm-hmm. Ugh. For those who may not remember, a pillory is a stock that consists of two hinged wooden boards with holes for the head and hands. The accused would be forced to endure public humiliation, although other methods could also be used, including whipping, branding, or even the removal of fingers and ears. You could be put in the pillory not just for witchcraft, but also for committing perjury or theft. I was just going to say, I remember a lot of thieves going in there. Yep. And adulterers, too, sometimes, right? Yep, in other countries, yeah. Yeah. According to the Irish 1586 Witchcraft Act, they would have been ordered to serve time in jail for a year and spend time in the pillory at least four times on market days for a first offense, which is what they were Mm -hmm. all sentenced. All sentenced to do. None of them would be put to death. At that point, I'd almost wish death. If I was that old. Yeah. And they wanted me to be in prison for a year, I'd be like, so about that, like, hanging. Yeah. (laughs) Is that an option? Yeah, because, like, prison conditions at that time were horrendous. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're always not great, but I would assume. And if you're already lame Mm -hmm. and, you know kind of on your way out regardless like being being quote-unquote lame and having to be in a pillory could kill you yeah you'd be like hanging by your wrist and your neck because you wouldn't be able to stand yeah yeah and who knows how long they had to stand there too yeah i'm sure it wasn't just like five minutes yeah this statute wasn't repealed until 1821 wow yeah When the women were placed in the pillory, the public threw rotten fruit, boiled cabbage stalks, and stones at them. It is said that one of the women lost an eye as a result of having rocks hurled at her, but this hasn't been proven. Like, there's no real evidence. But definitely likely if they're throwing rocks. Yeah. Dr. Sneddon believes that Mary, surprise, surprise, was making all of it up 
based on testimony that had been published regarding the Salem trials in Massachusetts from 1692 and a case from Scotland in 1696 that resulted in seven people being put to death. Uh-oh. Demoniacs and their claims follow a specific pattern, committing the very crimes that they are accusing others of doing. But because these crimes are being committed against them and not by them, they can essentially do whatever they want because they're not morally responsible for their actions. What a way to start a new life in a new town. Right? So why? Why go to these lengths to take the lives of innocent people or to just punish innocent people? The answer is simple. To be seen. Mm -hmm. Mary had just moved to Ireland from Scotland and was basically invisible. This was her chance to make a name for herself. And by utilizing the words of clergy and medical professionals who were called in to verify that her condition was supernatural and not physical, she was able to capitalize on the age and gender tensions that were already brewing. Awesome. The story of Mary doesn't end with the trial. After the conviction was set, her speech magically returned to her. And following the trial, she returned to her mother's home in County Down. On April 8th, Mary claimed she'd seen the man who had attacked her the day of the trial, and that he'd threatened to kill her if she reported him. Okay. On April 12th, she suffered another fit that resulted in her accusing the specter of stabbing her with a broken butcher's knife. When her shoulder was inspected, there was a mark where she claimed she was attacked. Okay. A description of her attacker was written up and sent over to Island McGee. Ironically, the description matched William Seller, who was the husband and father of two of the convicted women, Janet and Elizabeth Seller. Of course. William, hearing that he was going to be put on trial for bewitching Mary, attempted to flee, but was ultimately caught and brought to trial in Carrickfergus in the summer of 1711. Hmm. Following his capture, Mary had actually died just three weeks after the original trial in April of 1711, which meant that his charge was now changed to that of murder. Ugh. How did she die? No one, it doesn't say. What? You would think that that would be like a really important part of this trial is how she died. But she passed three weeks after the conviction of the eight women. Wow. William was the only male witch in Ireland to be found guilty and executed. On a positive note, the extreme penalties for witchcraft were repealed in Ireland in 1734, so a few years after this trial. Thanks, guys. Yeah. If you travel to Carrickfergus today, you can see a replica of the witch's pillory next to what remains of Castle Wara, which utilized the cells in its ground floor to house prisoners awaiting their time in the pillory. Ooh, I bet that's super haunted. Oh, yeah. So many emotions. You can also visit the Nohead House, which was where possessions of Mary took place, as well as the old quote-unquote rocking stone that the Island McGee witches supposedly danced upon and that Catherine McCalmond, one of the accused, 
was said to have left claw marks on as she was dragged off to court. Okay. This is like a giant stone. Like if you look up pictures of it, and I'll put photos up on social, it is a huge stone. A plaque sits in front of Castle Wara that reads as follows. Quote, near this place in the middle of High Street, there stood 400 years ago a stone tower called at various times Castle Wara, Whittle Tower, the town house de Nockfergus, or the Thalsal. Entrance was by a projecting stone staircase with a pillory and stocks in front. The ground floor held cells for criminals. On the first floor were debtor cells and the jailer's rooms. And on the top floor, civic business and town courts were conducted. It is not known when the tower was built, but it was already old in 1567, and it was taken down about 1778. End quote. Dang. And that's the tale of the last witch trial in Ireland. Sad. Mm-hmm. Not quite what I was expecting, but I also don't really know what I was expecting. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. They all tend to have a very loose theme. Mm-hmm. How unfortunate. I think the only part that really freaked me out was the stuff about, like, the boy. Yeah. Like, that was like, really messed up. But if you think about it, in, like, a lot of lore about the devil, he usually utilizes, like, the voices of children. Uh-huh. Or, like, the appearance of a child to kind of get you involved. Because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, wow, there's a little girl ghost in my closet. It's like, no, it's a demon. Go, go yep. run. <laughs> <laughs> run and set it on fire. Start again. Yep. I know the housing market's bad, but, like, do it again. <laughs> Just move. It's fine. It's fine. Hey, everyone. This is Greg Kelso, host of The Con Hour. And I'm Amy Ravishandran, one of the co-hosts on the Con Hour, and we bring Comic-Cons to you. So we have anywhere from Comic-Con creators and guests all over the Comic-Con world, as we like to call it, and we bring them to you, whether you get some one-on-one time with them live on our show interviewing them, or if we're live at that convention, we interview the celebrity guests, the creators of that Comic-Con, along with all of the vendors that are there. So this is definitely something if you happen to be like us and we cannot make it out to all these Comic Cons, but we love the Comic Con world, the conventions, the whole atmosphere and family of the Comic Con world. This is a show for you. So make sure that you join us and see who we're interviewing next and where we're going to be at next. So hit that subscribe button along with the bell so you get notified the next time we are live. And we cannot wait to have you be part of the conversation on the Con Hour. Until our next show. Adio. This week's podcast plug is the Con Hour podcast. The Con Hour covers all your convention and panel needs and wants. The majority of the shows are live. Since they're Texas-based, the bulk of the cons they cover are in Texas. But they also cover ones kind of all over the place. Yeah. Not only do they cover conventions, but they also conduct interviews with actors, actresses, authors, artists, musicians, singers, songwriters, and cosplayers. Nice. So if that's something you're interested in checking out, we will have a link in the show notes. Cool. 
And this week's listener question comes from Ashley from the Studying Scarlet and Pineapple Pizza podcast. And she wants to know, if you were transported back in time and unable to return, what would you miss the most from modern life? Insulin. (laughs) I'd be super dead. (laughs) Bye, guys. (laughs) That was easy. (laughs) Next question. (laughs) Maddie was killed by diabetes on the Oregon Trail. (laughs) Yep. She had the walking curse. I think that's what it was called. Primarily was the walking curse. Weird. Well, because you'd you'd have to burn off the carbs that you've eaten, and most most diets at the time were carb heavy. Yep. And so people would they would call it like some sort of curse or affliction mm-hmm. because you'd have to walk for miles after breakfast, and you'd have to walk for miles after any time you ate. And then you'd still eventually die because you can't yep. live without insulin. Yep. So, sorry, Ashley. I know that's I, I know that's super dark, everybody. But depending on where I'm at, that's the reality. <laughs> <laughs> well, now mine sounds so you? superficial. <laughs> no, sorry. Gosh, I, sh- I really should go. Well, I don't know if I should go last because that's super dark. <laughs> that's fine. I was going to say my Kindle. <laughs> Because I love reading. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, I mean, who knows if, like, wherever you are, if one, they'd let you read. Mm-hmm. Two, like, do they have a library? Are mm-hmm. they, like, yeah. Because you'd probably just be reading Bibles all the time. I was going to say, I don't want to read the Bible all the time. I'm sorry for people yeah. who, like, read the Bible and it for would pleasure. Like, well, if you or, think about or it, like, that Bible could be more like a... Like an H.P. Lovecraft novel, because wasn't like the Bible beforehand like super dark and like God is like I created you, but I also think you suck, <laughs> so I'm gonna turn you into salt and set you on fire and pretty much, yeah. Everything you do is wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna smite you all the time. And then the newest Bible is like, hey, sorry about the salt thing. <laughs> Let's get along. I'm gonna try again. I'm gonna be a better dad. All right. <laughs> We're going to do this again. Check out my son. Yeah. He tastes like fish and bread. He's delicious. <laughs> Drink his blood. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's what fine. Is it? This is... Drink this his is, blood and eat his flesh. Eat his flesh. This is uh, church-ordered <laughs> cannibalism. Right. It's fine. On that cannibalistic note, what's something good you'd like to share? <sighs> something good... It is now getting to a point where we can go on walks with the dogs without uh, slipping and falling mm-hmm. <laughs> or freezing to death. And granted, it's been really windy the past couple of days, so the wind chill has been in- insane. But uh, this past week, I've been able to kind of sneak off and uh, take Willie on a walk, and he led me directly to the nature preserve that's really close to our house. Yep. Because we haven't been there for, you know, a couple of months because of like how bad the like they don't <laughs> they don't ice <laughs> ice the nature trail. Yeah. So it's been nice to kind of get out there and uh, see how happy he is smelling all the smells and remarking oh. all of his favorite spots. So 
it's been nice. I, I love, I just love happy puppies. And our, our youngest dog had a really scary bout of stomach flu or something. And we took him to the vet and he, they still have no idea what happened. So I think he probably just ate something that he shouldn't have, but he's fully recovered now and ready to be his total jerk puppy self. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a really strange thing when all of the puppy things that you find really annoying are now okay because yep. he's alive yep <laughs> you're like okay i'm gonna tolerate this but he donkey kicked something super hard while playing <laughs> the other the other night and like almost broke something oh so god i was like oh okay we need to take him on a very long walk soon because he's feeling real good he is 110%. On the mend. Oh, she's fine. <laughs> no, that, that stomach flu is going to make him immortal. So, yep. All right. How about you? I've also been getting outside when the weather's mm -hmm. warm and not like crazy windy. Yeah, the wind chill has been insane. Like 20 degree difference. Yeah. <sighs> it's been cold. So, like, yesterday I took Kona for a walk. We went to, we walked to the coffee shop, nice. got some stuff, and then we kind of walked Did you get home. your your latte that you like so much? Yes, I did. Can you remind the folks what your special latte is? It's a Sweet Boy. So it is a soy latte with honey and lavender. Mm -hmm. It's really good. It just sounds comforting. Yeah, it was nice. And it was really windy yesterday, so it was nice having something warm as like a treat on the way back. Yeah. And I was listening to some podcasts and stuff while I was out walking Kona, so it was kind of nice to get outside and do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram and Facebook at yieldcrimepodcast. We're also on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel. You can also check out a playlist of our full episode catalog or just our cramboard episodes, which are always fun. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to send us something in the mail, you can send it to our P.O. box, which is yieldcrimepodcast. P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. It's also listed in the show notes because I don't know when you're listening to this and I don't want you to try to write it down when you're driving. That'd be dangerous. Yeah, please don't do that. No. <laughs> you can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send in your questions. If you have story suggestions or just want to say hi, go ahead hi. and do that. A great way to support the show, if you want to help us out but can't do so financially, is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, and you can now leave ratings on Spotify. Mm -hmm. And this week's review comes from Classical Gliza on Apple Podcasts, and she says, Fun hosts, definitely well-researched and a lot of fun to listen to. Thank you, Gliza. Thanks. That's so nice. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee for a one-time donation. You can also sign up for our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month to get early ad-free access to our episodes. 
If you'd like to wrap some of our merch, you can head over to our Tee Public shop or you can also head over to Redbubble. Mm-hmm. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.